Hey interwebs, it's Jackie K, and I'm here today to talk to you guys about Shadow Pokemon, something that has been well overdue. Mind you, I'm not doing this with a script, even though I feel like a script would be very beneficial and within my capability to do. It also would just procrastinate me completing this even longer. But I am here today to go over some of the bases within the realm of Shadow Pokemon. Well, we can't really speculate over what it is because it already exists. I can at least give you a rundown of some of the history behind it, including that of the games it came from, Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD Gaelic Darkness for the Nintendo GameCube, as well as how the modern day Shadow Pokemon mechanics compare to the Shadow Pokemon mechanics of these older games. And most importantly of all, why it's such a huge deal for me that this sort of mechanic got implemented into Pokemon Go in the first place. To start off with, I think we'll start from the beginning. Not just the beginning of these GameCube games where Shadow Pokemon implemented from, but I think we can go a step beyond that. Way back to the era of Nintendo 64, core players of Pokemon as a video game series that have been with the series all the way back then, we'll recall two games that pretty much revolutionized an already revolutionary game concept at the time. Pokemon Stadium 1. Give me a moment to try to paint the picture for you of just why these games were such a big deal. Imagine back all the way back in the beginning, we were literally just writing off Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow, the first main series installments in the entire Pokemon series. Back then these were on like these retro Game Boys. Imagine like a console that's still pixelated and didn't even have color. And imagine being told that a video game was coming out where you could take these pixelated creatures and actually see them in 3D doing Pokemon battles. That alone blew pretty much all the kids minds back in the day. These games were pretty much a 3D, well, stadium. For Pokemon battles, you had these different leagues where you could battle your Pokemon in. And with an accessory that may or may not wipe out my save data every time I put a Pokemon game in it these days because of its age, you can essentially load your Pokemon that you've been collecting, raising, and battling in your Game Boy games up onto Nintendo 64 using your own Pokemon in these 3D battles. And I could spend all day talking about Pokemon Stadium and a sequel to Pokemon Stadium 2. I know this sounds very basic, but that's just a concept from a surface value. If you actually go in and look at the game yourself, there's so many other things to it. For example, it acted as an alternative storage for your Pokemon. One much easier to navigate than that of old. Like You guys probably have no idea how bad Pokemon storage is in the first video games. Unless you actually play them for yourself. But there's also so many different rule sets. You could pretty much go through the gym leaders and they would not just have your basic Geodudes and Staryus, they would have full sets of teams. As well as the different stadium modes, even little mini games. It just, while well, on one hand was a 3D battle simulator, it had a lot of depth to it, as well as a lot of heart. 
and I could spend all day talking about Stadium and a sequel Stadium 2, but I more so wanted to bring up those games so I could set the stage for what's to come with Pokemon Coliseum. With the jump to the GameCube era, and at this point, the third generation of Pokemon games, Stadium 2 being for the second generation of Pokemon, a bit of a standard has been set, and they were able to continue it on. Pokemon Coliseum did have similar functionality to the Pokemon Stadium games, where you take your Pokemon from your Game Boy games and battle them in 3D. However, instead of all the side features that the Stadium games had, like separate gym leader battle mode, mini games, Gian Serrani which I get a strong feeling I'm mispronouncing, the developers of Pokemon Coliseum decided to take a very different and radical approach to adding depth to their 3D battle simulator. They decided to add a whole story mode to their game. One thing about the stadium games that I kind of glance over that ties back into Coliseum, you may be wondering, well, if I do stuff in Pokemon Stadium, by transferring my Pokemon from the Game Boy games, or at least temporarily loading them onto the Stadium games, what do I do if I don't have these games? I guess I'm just bone. That's where you'd be wrong. The Stadium games had this feature known as Rental Pokemon. All 150, in Stadium 2's case, all 250, give or take a few super rare ones, had a rental form where you could go down a list, pick a Pokemon, and use it for your battling. Coliseum didn't have this feature. Instead, you basically built your own rental team through playing this story mode. And oh boy. <laughs> to give a brief plot synopsis, you start the game as a member of an evil organization. Leave the organization in pretty much the flashiest way possible, if not the most destructive way possible, stealing a key component of the organization in the process. This item you steal is known as the Snag Machine, a tool that literally allows you to steal Pokemon right from a trainer through a process known as snagging. Typically in a Pokemon game, in pretty much every main series Pokemon game from the original Red and Blue, all the way up to Sun and Moon. If you try to throw a Pokeball at a trainer's Pokemon, it'll just bounce off and you'll get scolded by the trainer. So while you could take Pokemon from their environment if they're wild, or in theory steal the Pokeball that the Pokemon came from, or take the Pokemon from some other means, you cannot truly take another trainer's Pokemon through capturing it. And that's where the Snag Machine comes in. The Snake Machine, essentially, is never truly explained, but the best way I can interpret it is reprogram a Pokeball to ignore whatever protocols keep you from capturing a trainer's Pokemon. So you just do a flashy effect and BOOM! That trainer's Pokemon just becomes a wild Pokemon to you, to the point where you capture it in the same way as you would a wild Pokemon in the main series game. Fight against it to weaken it down... Implement status conditions where you can, and take it. 
Now, you're not given as much freedom as you might think from a concept like this. As the main protagonist, and not a villain, you are restricted to what Pokemon you can capture. This is where the Shadow Pokemon mechanic starts to come into play. Now, I should clear this up now, otherwise there'll be confusion later. The evil organization that you fight against for 99% of the adventure is different from the one that your character was originally part of. Your character is part of a team known as Team Snagum, which, as you may guess, specialize in stealing Pokemon through the Snag Machine process. There is the Snag Machine that you have, as well as a machine that made the Pokeballs for snagging on a much larger scale. Fortunately for you, unfortunately for them. <laughs> Let's just say that gets taken care of right at the beginning. Go watch the opening semantic of Pokemon Coliseum if you haven't already. It's freaking amazing. Instead of fighting against this organization, you're fighting against a team known as Cypher. Believe it or not, with all the scary dragons and fish monsters that exist in the world of Pokemon, Pokemon, there is not a thing as an evil Pokemon by nature. I assume that kind of ties into the fact of you can use a Hyper Beam on a level 1 Magikarp and it'll just faint. Pokemon are not destructive creatures by nature. So if you're an evil organization that wants to use Pokemon for more destructive means, it makes sense to try to find a way to modify them otherwise. So Cypher takes these Pokemon and pretty much converts them into a Shadow Pokemon. And very similarly to how it works in Pokemon Go, they create a Shadow Pokemon by closing the door to its heart. Only God knows how they do that. Well, you sort of get an idea through some of the logs that you can pick up along the way of your adventure. And through them you can see that a lot of experimentation happened to these Pokemon in order to create the Shadow process. And that is overall bad for the Pokemon. They essentially strip any emotion that the Pokemon has and just turn it into a mindless fighting machine. And who knows how much emotional trauma was caused to the Pokemon just to make that sort of process. Granted, the reason they probably get away with putting all this in the kids game was because of how vague they were with it. And while I'm thinking about it, I should probably bring up of just how much more adult this particular game was in comparison to Pokemon games so far. For one, this is not only the oldest protagonist we've had up to this point. This is the oldest protagonist we've had in a Pokemon game period, unless there's some of two spin-offs that I'm forgetting about. Typically, the Pokemon protagonists are children, ranging pretty much anywhere from 10 to 13. While I think the protagonist in this game is closer to 17 or 16, I could believe him to be an adult. That alone is a pretty major tonal shift from the typical Pokemon game. And then we get into the organization. There's the whole thing about the Shadow Pokemon process and these vague terms about closing heart that leads to the speculation of how they were able to do that. The vagueness probably is what keeps this game rated E for kids. And just how much rougher the environment was. One of the areas of the game is pretty much a town run not necessarily by the evil organization but just general cr criminals. Rougher civilians. It even has a police force, but they're helpless against the situation. Overall, I think this is one of the more darker takes 
on a Pokemon game. Not really to the point of feeling dark, but enough to have a more serious tone compared to Pokemon games of past and possibly even of present. Even the sequel this game got was a lot more light toned than Pokemon Coliseum. And I think it has a lot of respect in the community because of that. Anyways, back to the plot synopsis. So, because these shadow Pokemon are being used by the evil organization, and obviously they're bad guys using bad Pokemon, or at least Pokemon that need help, but the issues that they need help with are what the bad guys are benefiting from, they're not going to give up their Pokemon. So the only way to rescue them and get them back to normal is to steal them away. And to be fair, the game does a good job. The game doesn't encourage stealing Pokemon if that makes any sense. Yes, you do need to snag away the Pokemon, not only for 100%, not only to free them, but to have a team at all to work with. But the game does a good job forcing the theme that, yes, we have to do this, but we don't like it. I feel like they do a good job assuring you that you're doing the right thing even though in a normal situation it wouldn't be socially accepted. I know there's a lot to take in I know you're probably wondering what you mean that I have to steal these Pokemon in order to make my team. I'll, I promise I'll get back to that but I want to finish up this plot synopsis. So you snake the Pokemon away and as you do the only way to open their hearts it's essentially a two-step process. One, treat the Pokemon like a normal Pokemon. The ways that you slowly work a Pokemon down in order to get it ready to be purified is very similar to the mechanics in Pokemon games that help you build a friendship with the Pokemon, i.e. moves like Return that do more damage than friendlier Pokemon is with you. Same concept as Pokemon that evolve for friendship. All these things that we already do with Pokemon to try to make them our friends are the same things we need to do to help purify them. So you battle with them, you walk around with them, even got special items that help a Pokemon calm down to help it work its way towards purification. Grand, there's a couple extra mechanics that will Speed the purification process even further. As you're friendly and spend time with the Pokemon, it becomes closer to becoming a normal Pokemon. However, no matter how much time you spend with it, there's one little thing that just keeps the door to his heart shut. Yet you can feel the Pokemon go from being a heartless fighting machine to one with a soul that just has a little piece of it trapped. I think some of the more prominent cases of this are as you're using the Pokemon in battle. As you use a Pokemon in battle, the closer it is to being able to be purified, the more likely it is to hit a high emotional state. Granted, the name of this particular state changes between Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD, but function very similarly. When a Pokemon's in this state, there's both pros and cons. With the pros, the shadow-specific moves that a shadow Pokemon have benefit from this state. For example, in Coliseum, the move Shadow Rush is more likely to get a critical hit. On the downside is when you try to use moves beyond the Shadow Rush. 
When this happens, you risk the Pokemon behaving very similarly to a Pokemon that's traded in from you when you don't have enough gym badges. It can pretty much do anything besides what you want it to do. It could just go ahead and use the Shadow Rush anyways. It could use a different move. However, the one thing that wouldn't happen in the main series game when a Pokemon disobeys you is the Pokemon actually attacking the trainer or yourself. Granted, this is all cosmetic, but it does tie in to a very particular element of the Shadow Pokemon beyond its Aurora. Because Shadow Pokemon are trained to be heartless slash mindless fighting machines, they will pretty much do whatever the trainer commands. As such, they have no hesitation to attack a person. Something that Pokemon usually frowns upon. I would say in the main series game, but I guess it applies to this game as well. Again, this is more just for lore's sake. It never really plays in the mechanics. Like, you're not going to get a game over for having your Shadow Pokemon attack a trainer or yourself. It's mostly just them dodging out the way and you losing a turn because the Pokemon didn't do Dilly Squad, but tried to kill you. <laughs> I bring all this up because, yeah, you can battle with that Shadow Pokemon all you want. And while it may sound cool to have a badass Purple Aurora Pokemon that can attack people on your side indefinitely, the game pretty much mechanically restricts you from keeping it that way forever because that Shadow Pokemon will not level up. When you first catch it, it'll probably be significantly stronger than anything else on your team. But it will eventually fall behind because at first that Pokemon won't gain experience at all. But as you get closer to purifying it, instead of just losing out on that experience, it'll just retain it secretly beyond your ability to see until you finally purify it. Eventually in your adventure, you come across an area known as the Gate Village. A little village that is pretty much like a retirement home for veteran Pokemon trainers, but also has ties to the legendary Pokemon Celebi. Celebi is actually key to Pokemon purification, as its time travel abilities allow a Shadow Pokemon to recall happy memories that it had before it became Shadow, which is the final step necessary in order to complete its purification. This is so vital to the purification process that Cypher actually goes out of her way to infiltrate this town, try to find a relic that resides with Celebi, destroy it, and possibly even capture Celebi if given the opportunity to prevent the purification process from ever happening. Thankfully, thanks to our efforts as trainers, we are able to stop Cypher before they can really even go anywhere with said plans. And after doing so, we eventually gain the ability to use the Relic of Celebi to complete the purification process and turn the Pokemon back to normal. While it's not like in Pokemon Go where they become a special type of Pokemon, they're just normal now. There are a lot of perks that purify Shadow Pokemon have over like a normal Pokemon you would catch in the wild. For one, any type of moves exclusive to a Shadow Pokemon, like in Coliseum, it would just be a Shadow Rush. In XT, there are additional Shadow type moves, but I'll get more into that when I get into XD, because while it is very similar to Coliseum, the mechanics behind Shadow Pokemon do behave pretty differently from Coliseum. 
Granted, it's pretty much the only difference it has over Calcium, but I'll get more of that later. Point being, these moves override ones that Pokemon would normally learn. Similarly to how you cannot TM Frustration out of a Shadow Pokemon in Pokemon Go, a Shadow Pokemon, on top of not being able to level up to learn new moves, cannot learn new moves from TMs or other means. They also can't be nicknamed, which isn't relevant, but I figure I'd bring it up while it's not on my mind. You Pokemon Go players actually have a bit of a luxury in comparison to Shadow Pokemon of old. Since these Shadow Pokemon were originally owned by other trainers, though, they can have pretty interesting movesets. Sometimes moves that a Pokemon would normally not be able to learn in the main series game. At least in Generation 3 when these games came out. A lot of these moves, at least the good ones, have become breedable moves or learnable from move tutors or obtainable through some other means. But at the time, it's pretty special that these Pokemon knew the moves they did because that was the only way to get them. And I bring this up because in addition of all that, when a Shadow Pokemon is purified, Shadow Rush goes away, but often in exchange, it learns a pretty special move, either a TM that it would normally not be able to learn naturally, maybe a move that it could learn from breeding, or most likely, a special move like I was describing before, that it could not normally learn from any other means. Granted, a lot of times it was helping hands because... One thing I forgot to bring up about Calcium and XD is that they all, or in the case of XD, 99%, revolve around a battle format called Double Battles, where in the main series game, a lot of your battles take place one Pokemon versus one Pokemon, a Double Battle, as the name implies, has two Pokemon versus two Pokemon, and the move Helping Hand only really works in Double Battles, so a lot of times it's not really any sort of mean or any sort of purpose for a lot of Pokemon to know this move. But of course, in a game revolving all around these double battles, you can get a lot more of a use out of it. Grand, they got cool moves too. Best example I can think of is Cypher being able to learn Morning Sun. If you try to, I think even these days, if you try to bring a Cypher with Morning Sun into most Pokemon battles, you'd be considered a hacker. But technically, if you get that Cypher from Pokemon XD, transfer it to the Gen 4 games, transfer it to Gen 5 games, transfer it to Gen 6 games, and etc., you can have a Cypher, and therefore a Scissor, that knows a healing move. At least before Roost was introduced into the game. Yeah, there's just a lot of potential. I kind of wish that Pokemon Go would go into it more, because it does make sense that you purify a shadow Pokemon and know to learn the move Return. But they could do so much more considering with what they did within the old games. It's like, man, honestly, how many times are you going to need to know a normal type move on a non-normal Pokemon in Pokemon Go? There's PvP, but that's so focused on super effective damage, something that normal types can't do. And then there's raid battles where a lot of times you'll want to have Pokemon that have moved that match up with that particular Pokemon's type. So point being, normal is, as a move type at least is fairly useless in Pokemon Go. And they could do so many cool things 
by giving like each species of shadow Pokemon a unique move, etc., etc. But alas, I am getting a little ahead of myself there. So cool. You've successfully taken these soulless Pokemon that are probably in pain away from the bad guys, brought them back to normal, and are now using them as a part of your team. Now we gotta go after the bad guys directly. And I think it's pretty self-explanatory from here. You go around the land, meeting up with different people. One place in particular, known as Mount Battle, we actually get a special item. Now granted, I can go back to Mount Battle later on when we're talking more about mechanics and less about story. But the main reason I bring Mount Battle up is we get an item known as a Time Flute from one of the trainers in the area. The Time Flute is special because it allows us to directly summon Celebi, which is part of the reason why Cypher was after it. How this works mechanically is if you take a Time Flute to the area where you purify Pokemon, you can purify any Shadow Pokemon without going through the process of battling, walking around with it, etc. You basically get a free purification right off the bat, which is super useful because there's some rare powerful Pokemon, even of the legendary status, that would normally take forever to purify. Going on with the plot though, as I forlude, Cypher is not just some rockets that got a hold of Rattatas. Not only have they taken Pokemon from trainers to convert into Shadow Pokemon, they've also gotten their hands on some legendaries. Now, unlike what the box art may make you believe, Groudon and Kyogre are nowhere in Pokemon's Calcium story. They exist in the promotional pieces like box art and the trailer that plays when you start the game up to promote ideas of transferring your Game Boy Advance Pokemon into the game, or at least using them in the whole battle section of it all. However, they have got their hands on a legendary beast, Entei, Suicune, and Raikou, and each of them have been given to a major head of Cypher's organization. Sadly, the most vital of the Cypher admins unfortunately does not get a legendary. <laughs> Perhaps more on him later. But all the other admins this organization do, which turn boss fights into a unique hybrid of two basically boss fight-like mechanics in the main series Pokemon games. The concept of a legendary Pokemon battle, and trust me, if you try to catch a legendary Pokemon in the main series games, minus the few that have their catch rate, drastically reduced for plot purposes. Trying to catch a legendary Pokemon is a boss fight in and of itself. But in addition to that, you are fighting against a full team of Pokemon. And oftentimes, these bosses actually have legitimate double strategies. For example, the one that's guarding Entei likes to spam Earthquake and Protect. Protect being a move that keeps his partner from getting hurt. Earthquake being a powerful ground type move that attacks everyone including his doubles partner. Yeah, that fight could get annoying. And the best part about it? <laughs> that Entei does not know Protect. <laughs> so while I noticed that he tends to be a bit more, or should I say less spam heavy, when his Entei hits a field and you're trying to catch it, it is possible for him to Earthquake his own Entei and make it faint, drooling you out of capturing it. <laughs> And then we got the Suicune owner. 
who loves the spam attract and utter status element moves and <laughs> I forget exactly oh yeah the guy that has Raikou yeah he likes to do rain dance and thunder combos for those of you who don't know because you play Pokemon Go and not the main series games rain dance is an interesting move that is main features that boosts the move the power of water type moves but it has a couple other secondary effects including making the powerful electric type move thunder 100% accurate Normally the drawback of Thunder is that it's a fairly inaccurate move. But not in that fight. <laughs> so yeah, I can see why people would find them annoying, but there's also a charm of the fact that you're battling that you're not only battling powerful trainers, but you're also juggling it along with the whole capturing a legendary Pokemon mechanic. I feel like I'm overplaying how annoying it is and not emphasizing enough how unique this sort of mechanic is. But take my word for it, it's going to be one of those situations where you want to save before defeating the boss, if not because of the challenge of the boss fight, but because of the struggle you'll have trying to snag the legendary Pokemon. Granted, it's not necessary to snag every single shadow Pokemon as soon as you see it, for one, you're not going to get a game over if you miss a Shadow Pokemon. But two, a lot of these, especially with the bosses, you'll get opportunities in the future to try to get that Shadow Pokemon again. In my personal opinion though, it's usually beneficial to try to get it the first time you see them. Because one, the fact that Shadow Pokemon don't level up is not just true with you. It's just, it is the core of a Shadow Pokemon. So, when you fight that boss later on, they'll have stronger Pokemon. You'll have stronger Pokemon. But that Shadow Pokemon won't be any stronger, for better or for worse. Considering how whittling down a Pokemon without feeding it is so vital in the catching process, it could be rough. Secondly, a lot of some of these fights are finite. I'll admit boss fights are one exception, but there are situations where you'll get another chance to snag a shadow Pokemon from a random mook that you fought along the way. But I do believe it's possible to eventually run out of opportunities to re-snake the shadow Pokemon. This is something I feel they definitely fixed in Pokemon XD. I'll get more to that later though. What's important to know is that in XD, you essentially have an infinite amount of chances to re-snag a shadow Pokemon without safe scumming. So you go along your adventure, doing what you can to stop the evil organization's efforts with the shadow Pokemon, snagging Pokemon along the way, including the legendary Pokemon that the bosses have, and eventually you make your way back, not to their lair, You've destroyed a couple of their lairs, or research facilities, or both, up to this point. But you make your way back to a stadium that the organization is secretly using to fundraise for their projects and all that. I feel like I'm taking a little bit of the magic out of it, describing it now. But I do have to state how much I appreciate the build-up. Essentially, there's like this construction strike that you just vaguely visit for one minute early on in the game. You don't know what it's for, but 
They talk about how they're going to build this grand stadium. And by the end of the game, you find out that it's done. And on top of that, you find out that's where the bad guys are hiding for their ultimate showdown. <laughs> Not just hiding, they're using this to essentially raise money for their evil schemes. So you make your way up this, it's guarded by the bosses that you fight already, so if you didn't snake their Shadow Legendaries the first time around, this is where you get your rematch. You make your way up there, and stuff happens that I will not dare spoil, but let's just say some loose ends get tied up, and you make your way to the boss. Again, I'm going to be the streak here, that way if you decide to play this game for yourself, you have some element of surprise to enjoy. But you finally get up to the stadium where you assume you're fighting against the boss and assume that you pretty much went through your equivalent of the Elite Four through the rematches with these bosses. To find out, surprise, the game has an actual Elite Four mechanically, not literally or lore-wise. Where you have to fight four trainers in a row without healing, and if you lose to any of them, you have to start over from the beginning. I think that's a cool touch, a nice way to include a common mechanic found in the Pokemon series, but put a new spin on it. Each of these trainers do have their own Shadow Pokemon they, if you want 100%, have to snag along the way too. After all that, you get to the boss, the head of the organization, and that's all I'll say, because I do not want to ruin that element of surprise. I will say that he has an amazing team. And you get to the point where I've snagged the legendary Pokemon. Who, what could this head of the organization possibly have? And you come across a pseudo legendary Pokemon. Again, I'm hesitant to say what Pokemon. Because I'm afraid that it'll lead into the spoilers I'm trying to avoid. But let's just say they're fan favorites in the Pokemon series, and Pokemon that are strong enough to rival the legendary Pokemon that you had to fight before, and they're almost as formidable to try to catch as well. But eventually you save the day, the bad guy tries to get away, well, well I don't think it's as bad as revealing the head of the evil organization, but maybe I should be vague in case of it. Basically a legendary Pokemon comes by to do a Deu Ex Machia, and the police actually do their job and arrest the bad guy. And everything's happily ever after. In theory, the game actually has a post game though, and we get into some interesting plot elements along the way. In addition to doing some things like tying loose ends with a certain team snagum, capturing a few more shadow Pokemon, there's actually a plot thread where you get framed for using a shadow Pokemon in a bad way, we'll just say. And the way that sub-story goes is pretty amazing in and of itself. And that's basically everything with Pokemon Coliseum from a story perspective. Oh, you know, there is one thing I almost forgot about. Not too much of a biggie, but I figured I'd bring it up anyways. This game came out right around the time after Ruby and Sapphire came out, but before the Fire Red Leaf Green remakes. So these games, Pokemon Coliseum in particular, act as ways to help you fill out your National Pokedex, and did so by giving the majority, if not all, your options from the second generation. For those of you that aren't familiar with your Pokemon history, this was right around the time that Ruby and Sapphire came out, 
and in some senses it acts like a reboot to the whole national decks. You could not transfer Pokemon from the Game Boy Color games of Gold and Silver to Ruby and Sapphire. So by playing Pokemon Coliseum, you would be able to trade with Ruby and Sapphire once you complete it. And by that means, get all the Jolo Pokemon onto your Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire game. And I bring that up because that will affect the types of Pokemon you come across playing the game and it may feel a bit more limited. Though in some sense, the limited access you have to Pokemon in Calcium is half the fun because sometimes you're forced to use a Pokemon that you would normally otherwise avoid because you don't have any other options. In a sense of just like forcing you to think about Pokemon a bit differently. Like with a lot of other elements Calcium has. Wow, this is supposed to be a half hour episode but you can already tell this is going to be at least 40 minutes if not more so. I haven't even gone into Pokemon XD, which is a crime considering how much it's actually my favorite game of the two. With how much I've had to say in a positive way for Pokemon Coliseum, that's something in and of itself. But I also did want to talk a little bit more specifically about the way Pokemon Go has adapted the whole Shadow Pokemon mechanic into their game, as well as throw a few more things they feel like maybe they could be able to implement. Or it would be cool if they implemented. But I guess I can go briefly into Pokemon XD now. And fill in the blanks. In the second part of this editorial. Essentially. XD takes several years. After the events of Pokemon Coliseum. There's no sign of the previous protagonist. But instead you begin as a kid. Who lives at a lab. Specifically built around the research of Pokemon purification and as we find out later snagging the shadow Pokemon away from a potential evil organization funny enough an evil organization pops back up and I say pop back up because it actually turns out to be Cypher who we thought the head of the organization was taken care of in the events of this game it is confirmed that he's still sitting in jail unfortunately we find out that head was actually just the head of the Oray region, the region that we're playing the games in. And after hearing about his fall, the true head of Cypher begins their work in the Oray region once more. Because the kid gets a hold of the snag machine that the lab has created specifically for the purpose of snagging shadow Pokemon away, as well as the scanning device that allows you to see the shadow Pokemon. Because one thing I didn't say in my plot synopsis of Pokemon Coliseum, Shadow Pokemon's Purple Aurora, you know that purple ghastly fire effect that you know them for in Pokemon Go? That's actually invisible to the normal human eye. The protagonist of Pokemon Coliseum is only able to steal away the Shadow Pokemon because he has an assistant, a girl that he saves early on, who's gifted with the ability to see the Shadow Pokemon's Aurora. She's also the thing that keeps you from stealing every single Pokemon in the game. Because if you try to take something that's not a Shadow Pokemon, she'll go, Oh, that's not a Shadow Pokemon, what are you doing? Kind of like how Sheev stops you from stealing Shadow Pokemon in Calcium, this Aurora Reader prevents you from using the Snake Machine on anything that's not a Shadow Pokemon. There's no way I'm going to be able to fit a plot synopsis and go into the details that make XD different from Calcium within an hour when XD is... Such a love and revered game of myself. 
So, the more I think about it, the more I think this is going to be a three-parter. Oh yeah, I just realized I never actually took the time I promised to talk about Mount Battle. Long story short, is a hunter trainer battle gauntlet, and it does actually differ depending on if you do it through the stadium mode of the game, or through the story mode. And it is actually in both installments, but since it doesn't really tie too much to the plot, and the mechanics of Shadow Pokemon, I'm not going to talk too much more about it. If people are really interested in me doing a deep dive about everything with these games that makes them unique in my opinion, I guess I could come back. For now though, I want to focus as much on Shadow Pokemon as possible. Next time I'll finish up XD, go into any specific mechanics between Calcium and XD that I have yet to cover, and then in part 3, I'll talk more about how the Shadow Pokemon mechanic has been implemented into Pokemon Go, how I think about this implementation, and offer any feedback I have to be able to capture the spirit of Shadow Pokemon and Purification even more so into Pokemon Go. I've been your host, Jackie King. Thank you all for tuning in to this edition of my podcast. If you enjoy these editorials, be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you happen to be listening to this too, even if it's on YouTube. And be sure to check the website that will include the show notes slash description for more details of what social media networks to find me at. Utter Taco. Why did I almost say Utter Taco? I definitely am drying out my voice. I was going to say Utter Taco, and when I tried to say what I was going to say, I couldn't even get that out. <laughs> Point being, everything you need to know about me is there. If there's anything else I'm forgetting, I'll be sure to include it in the show notes slash description. I'm going to let you all go before my voice completely goes out because I ran out of water while recording this. And I can see the signs of that, or more so feel in here, already. Take care.